This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show, I'm going to give you my big takeaway from the Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker epic main event from Saturday. Speaking of which, we'll talk to Dustin Poirier's coach, Mike Brown, who stops by. And then we're also going to sort of examine what might be next for Mike Perry after Saturday's performance. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Happy Monday to everyone. I hope you are doing well. We are uh, almost there for 4th of July. Sort of a weird time in the country, but... Fourth of July is usually a weekend that most of us look forward to, if for no other reason than we have a, usually a little bit less work. And, you know, chance to celebrate the American history. Uh, there will not, of course, be any fights next weekend. So following this week, and probably this week a little bit too, but then next week we'll be really leaning into UFC 251. But boy, I have to tell you, you know, Saturday's card overall, not like, not terrible by any stretch of imagination, but, you know, it was fine. It was good. It was... It was it was good. I mean, I wouldn't call it run of the mill either. I think that would be a little bit disparaging, but it was fine. But how about that main event, huh? Man, you just don't see stuff like that very often, do you? Boy, that was something pretty special. We won't get to it today because we just don't have enough time. We will get to it, I think, probably tomorrow. That's an easy contender for fight of the year. I think round two is probably an easy winner, much less a contender for round of the year. Um, so you've got just one of the best rounds I've ever seen. You've got one of the best fights in that division. And, you know, we knew it was going to be special and then it absolutely lived up to it. What a absolutely sensational fight. I mean, you just, <laughs> good Lord. So Dustin Poirier wins unanimous decision, two scores of 48, 47, and then one forty-eight forty-six. I put out a video yesterday on my YouTube page, and I'll repeat one of the points here, which was, you know, I don't know how you guys watch fights. I, I tend to watch them for the most part alone in my office. Didn't always used to be that way, but it just sort of morphed into that as it's become more of a business for me. And, you know, it's how I pay my mortgage. I need to concentrate. I need to have all my tools and information up and ready to go. And so I just tend to be, you know, in my office watching without the company of other people. And I remember when the fight was over, without even thinking about it, I just took to my feet and started clapping, you know? Uh, and you just, just think about how funny that is, right? It's like, why would you clap for something? I mean, the whole idea behind clapping and applauding is that people do it as a group together. Because it's weird if you're clapping by yourself, right? If, if there's other people nearby, you're the only one clapping. So it's a thing that people do together to shower praise on an individual or a small group or something, right? But it, it is, at its very core, a social thing. And here I was, thousands of miles away from where the fight was actually taking place, and I wasn't even around other people. And I, the first thing that came to my mind was, I need to get on my feet and show respect for what this was. It was just instinct. Because that's how good it was. Man, you know, I just don't... I mean, when you talk about some of the best lightweights ever, you have to have a conversation first about who has held a belt because it's such a deep division, man. If you can get a belt in that division, it, it's so, 
you know, so insanely difficult. And uh, Ferguson's had an interim one, and Dustin's had an interim one as well. But they've never been undisputed belt holders. And I just want you to think about that for just a second. Look at the level of ability that Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier show as interim belt holders. And think about what it means. Like, if the level of skill and grit and commitment and strategy and development that they have shown through their careers, if they were in virtually any other division, I don't think there'd be a doubt in anyone's mind that they would have held a belt somewhere else, an undisputed title, and maybe a couple of defenses along the way. And in this division, so far, between the two of them, it's only been good enough for an interim title. Let me just noodle that for a second. If, if we're assessing greatness and there isn't a place for Dustin Poirier in that conversation, we're just not doing it correctly. It's just you're not, your definition is not spectacular and broad enough. Because obviously what you want to talk about are your Joneses and your Silvas and your GSPs and all those kinds of folks. But you have, like, what he's doing and what he's done is so clearly worthy of reverence that if you can't find a place for him there, I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't, I don't know how you, I don't know how you can say with a straight face that's not next level. It's not, it's not what you know, Khabib is doing. Okay. But Khabib is like generationally special. And you know, we, we've heaped praise on Khabib, and we will continue to do that. Uh, I'm talking about something a little bit different. Like, so just because it's a step below that doesn't mean it's a step below what is worthy of praise of what crosses a threshold of special fighting behavior. I was blown away, man. I was completely blown away in that fight. For now, though, it's time for my big takeaway. Luke Thomas has examined the fights, studied the film, listened to the interviews, and made his decision the biggest lesson he learned over the weekend. Fights like that are the reason we watch MMA. This is the big takeaway on the Luke Thomas Show. All right, time now for the big takeaway, my big takeaway here on the Luke Thomas Show. And I got to tell you, there could be other big takeaways from that fight. I mean, I hardly present the one I'm about to give you as the ultimate one, but it's just the one that seemed very important for me to identify. Namely, I do not know how you can watch a fight like Poirier versus Hooker and come away with the conclusion that they only deserve to be paid 18%. I don't know how you can responsibly say such a thing or ethically even decided. I mean, listen, if you want to make the case capitalistically for paying these guys more, you can do it. It's not hard. In fact, it's what the entire fighter lawsuit right now going on is about. It's about, it's about that. It's about what is, uh, or what are people like this entitled to in terms of wage share or uh, you know, various other uh, modeling, uh, what, you know, what they can be entitled to based on what they bring in and yada, yada. I mean, 
we can have that conversation and it's being had. It's a perfectly fine one to have. It's reasonable to ask. The evidence there is pretty overwhelming as well, but I'm making a bit of a different one here. Dude, how can you watch what Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker did to each other and say that it's responsible to only pay them 18%? And here's what I mean by that. One, look at what they are sacrificing in terms of their physical bodies on the altar of athletic glory and greatness and possibility here. I mean, we'll have a conversation about this later being like, what does Dustin Poirier get with the win here? We're not even really sure. You can say a title shot. You can say a fight against Connor. You can say a fight against Tony, but we don't know. Like it's not actually clear what he gets. He gets something good. It's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just pointing out like there are obstacles in front of him here. This was just for the right to either as my friend and colleague on my other show, morning combat says Brian Campbell, this was just a right to hold serve. That's it. Just to avoid getting your serve broken. And look at what they did to each other. When that fight is over, they're not going to be the same people they were as they went into it. And when this career is over, they for damn sure are not going to be the same people they were when they went into it. They're going to be very, very different people. On some level, does it not make you consider as, a, as an empathetic human being, what they have risked, what they have given up, and whether or not we have given enough money to people willing to do that kind of thing. And there are a lot of people who are willing to take beatings. There are a lot of people willing to hurt themselves. But the way in which they do it, which is to say the following, you are talking about two of the very best fighters in their weight class, my judgment, the most competitive weight class on earth. There are literally a handful of people, not even maybe, better than them. Maybe just, a, maybe just a couple. That's how good they are. And they're using that level of skill with a determination that most folks couldn't even fathom to do damage to one another. It is the execution of violent skills against men with wills beyond anyone you know in your orbit. How can you look at that and say they should get less than one of every $5 that is generated from these activities? I just don't understand. I don't know how you can look at that and say that's a fair trade. You know it's not a fair trade. My colleague John Nash did a bit of a sort of a Google search comparison We've had Regis Progre on the show. If you're not a boxing fan, you may not know that name. He's a very good boxer in a way in, a way in his division, uh, light welter, uh, which is you know, 140-ish. He's ranked in a pretty similar position relative to Dustin Poirier. You go and look at the uh, sort of like who is more popular. Dustin is clearly more popular. Like it's not even close. And then you look at their paydays, you know, the Rougarou, which is the nickname Regis Progre goes by. You know, he, I mean, before he was even a top contender, he was making million dollar paydays. He's, he is on the same level in a similar combat sport, and he's making multiple times. People always want to make arguments about why fighters should get more. And again, I don't think the capitalistic argument is a bad one, it's a fine one. But I often hear like another one that people make 
which is, oh, if we paid guys more, we could recruit better athletes. Oh, if we paid guys more, we could, um, you know, they could have better camps and they'd be, they'd have better fights, you know, and that would serve as a better entertainment product for the fans. And, and maybe those things are true. I think it's probably especially true of the heavier weight classes. I'm not even here to say it's wrong, but I don't think that's principally why you want to do this. If you want to make the argument about the X's and O's of the economics of it, you can. The one I'm making is, are we sufficiently rewarding the skill and sacrifice on display here in this profoundly violent activity where we have world-class talent over the course of 25 minutes altering each other's quality of life in a way that few could ever tolerate and a few in a way that few could ever dish out. Are we paying these guys enough? Dude, Dan Hooker got half his purse. Now he got a $50,000 bonus on top, but he got half his purse to travel from New Zealand to here, take an epic beating. He now falls back further in the rankings and now he has to fly home and sit in a government run facility basically for 14 days in quarantine before he could even get back to enjoying what he was doing. Plus, he's going to get doubly taxed in both his home country and here. That sound right to you? For what he's going to make? That doesn't sound right to me. That sounds like we are desperately underpaying him. Um, for Nevada, you know how much he made? Overall earnings, Dan Hooker made 85K guaranteed. He got a bonus from Reebok of 10K, and then he got a $50,000 bonus. He got 145K before taxes on that. That sound right to you? Sure as hell doesn't sound right to me. If there is any lesson from... Poirier versus Hooker. It's that we have a moral imperative to pay them what they are owed, man. We owe it to them. They are, they are too good, and they are sacrificing too much for this to be the end of things. And I hope folks understand that. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Let's go to the phones here, see what you guys have to say. Joe is in Lafayette. Hi, Joe. You're on the Luke Thomas Show. Hey. Well, I was watching the um, fight, and I took karate a long time ago, and we always kept our hands up. Dustin kept dropping them and grabbing his shorts. Well, what was he doing there? Yeah, I noticed that as well, Joe. The question I would, I, I, from my mind, is that it's just a bit of a reset mechanism in his brain. It's just sort of a tell that he does because he's trying to start the process. I mean, I think he literally is hiking his shorts up a little bit, but I think more just serves as like a mental reset moment. But, you know, if you do that in close quarters, someone's going to sock you for it. So he usually did it when he was far enough away that it didn't cost him. But you're right. If you could pick up on that, of course, other fighters can as well. Kevin is in Chicago. Hi, Kevin. What's up, Luke? Um, hate to be a negative Nancy, but man. You hate, you hate Dustin. I mean... John Vellante. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, it's just, um, I'm a fan of the guy. I like John, but he come in 250 pounds, 250 pounds, 
um, looking like you're eight months pregnant, your performance, you throw like two punches around. The one round you do exert yourself, um, you get on top, you gas out, and you let a glory kickboxer choke you out like that. Man, that fight just left the wrong taste in my mouth. Um, and I'm not the guy to say you need to be cut. I don't like saying that. But with that performance, the way he came in overweight, you got to go. End of the road. And my second point, Dustin Poirier, um, what this fight took away is his takedown defense. The way he was going for the guillotine, he wasn't doing basic pressure to head, sprawl, circle back. It's just that was a big takeaway. And I'm curious um, if Justin Gaethje is going to learn from that, the way he did to be, the way Justin fought to be. But that's a big takeaway. Justin needs to work on his takedown defense. We're going for that sloppy guillotine. Yeah, the, the guillotine was interesting because it never really worked, but I guess that's something that must work for him pretty consistently in uh, training. I, I bet it's tight. It's just, if you know, if you go for it that many times, you got to be careful. Like, you have to ha- start. If it doesn't work the first one, first time, start going and you go for a second time. You need to have, like, a backup plan immediately when it fails. But here's the thing. Like, underneath, dude, he was doing more work than uh, on top than hooker was doing so like i agree that's not a great way to go about it but he was doing the better stuff in the end talking to the biggest names in pro wrestling wwe hall of famer edge i had to start with randy i knew that coming back having this cherry of a story dropped in his lap that randy would step up he just needed something to be able to sink his teeth into but then the next night after the rumble when i heard people screaming i was like oh my god this feels like old school nwa dusty roads like this is what i was hoping for i was like man this is gonna be so much fun busted open monday through saturday nine to noon east here he is, one of the best coaches in the game, coming off of a very successful weekend uh, with Dustin Poirier in just one of the most incredible fights uh, of this year, and, and certainly in that weight class and maybe ever. It's the one and only Mike Brown. Hi, Mike. How are you? We now have Mr. Mike Brown on the line. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good, man. Great. Good to be home. Yeah. You're back in uh, Florida, huh? Back in South Florida. How was, uh, how was it dealing with all of the uh, nasal swabs and pandemic quarantines and everything else? It's gotten easier, but they've switched to the, uh, the throat swab M- much easier than the nasal. The, the nasal wasn't my favorite. That, that was a nightmare. <laughs> didn't, like, it, didn't like that. It was uh, super, was it painful or just uncomfortable? What's the issue? Oh, no. I mean, it depends who's administering it. it uh, I had it once where like, they went like, way too deep. Like enough where I was like moving my head and it didn't seem like it was supposed to be there, but I've had it done a few times and some people don't go as deep as others, but it seems like it's bad for you. It's like, this is way too deep to be inside your head. Yeah, probably so. All right. Well, look, first of all, uh, congratulations are in order. What a fight. Uh, What is your, I mean, when you're a corner like that and you're watching a fight like this, what is going through your mind? Obviously, as fans, we're like, this is one of the best fights I've ever seen. What are you thinking round over round? Yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I'm worried for the guy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to not get too emotional, try, trying to uh, score it as best as I can. So, like, I can give him, we can give him accurate information. Uh, you know, just trying to stay grounded and, and figure out what the hell's going on. 
How did you have it through two? You had it with uh, Hooker up for both? I did. I did. I thought he, I thought he was down two. Um, looking back at it, you know, maybe the first was a little closer than I thought, but I, I thought he was up two. I looked at the, the scorecards after the fact, and, and uh, there, it was good to see consistency from the judges in all the rounds. Yeah, and so Dustin took the last three, and then maybe that last one, I think he took on a 10-8 on one of the judges' scorecards. Yeah, all right, I so- think one gave him the, the somebody gave him a 10-8 in the fourth. Oh, the four, oh, fourth round. Okay, interesting. All right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let, let's go through the, the fight here a little bit. Why, was, why, why did Dan Hooker have success through the first 10 minutes? He was able to, to land his shots. Uh, Dustin was, was uh, loading, loading up on, on his punches, telegraphing a bit, um, and Hooker was able to get out of the way. He, he, he was, when, he, when he's fresh, his, his defense is much sharper. He, he's good with distance. Uh, he, he's, when he's fresh, he, he uses distance very well, and uh, he does a good job of hiding things behind that right hand. And uh, you, the the knee is super danger, dangerous and deadly. Um, he was doing some damage with probably to both guys actually with that inside low kick. I think he uh, hurt himself and Dustin do, uh, using that. I got to tell you that knee is incredible, right? He gets such elevation on that without really altering his posture. It just comes right up. Yeah, I mean he's knocked a couple people out with it, right? Miller and. Uh, Ross Pearson, but what what a, a, a brutal weapon that is! That is so. I mean, the knee is so much more devastating than a punch. It's uh, so heavy, and yeah, he's tall. It doesn't take much, and he's got looks like he's got flexible hips. Like you said, he, his upper body doesn't move much, and, and that's just coming through. You better get your head out of the way. All right, so let's talk about it from the uh, eleven minute mark of the fight, right? So now we're in round three. What did Dustin do that turned this fight around? Again, it wasn't like completely out of hand, but to your point, maybe Hooker was up two rounds. So how did Dustin turn it around? I'm just, I mean, he, he just, he, that's just uh, grit and heart, man. He's got uh, such tremendous natural ability. His conditioning is as good as it, as it, as it gets. And uh, doesn't matter how tough things have been, He's always ready to to battle back. I mean, he could be. I mean, he could lose every every second of of the fight for ten minutes. And and if you give him a one, one millimeter of an opening to come back, he'll take it, man. He's he's gonna battle back. I I feel like Hooker slowed down a little bit, and now he was able to to start landing his shots and and big shots. He hits very hard. Uh, he hits really hard with both hands. He kicks hard, and it uh, doesn't go away. He he hits um, just as hard in the fifth as he does in the first. So uh, if you start to slow down, man, you got a you got a dangerous guy in front of you. How much do you think the small cage impacted things? Uh, I mean, it was definitely definitely in our in our favor, but I don't. I don't think that was a major issue because it wasn't like Hooker was getting backed up on it. You know, it wasn't like he was running into the cage and then getting hit. You know, he was coming forward a lot. Uh, so it's like we didn't even need to use it a whole lot, to be honest. Um, I think it, I thought it was going to be a big factor than it was. He, he was. he was using distance well, but it wasn't like he was getting stuck on the cage, you know, uh, from my memory. Hmm. Okay. Mike Brown joins us here on the Luke Thomas show. 
Uh, let's talk about a couple of things here that sort of stood out to me. The first couple of rounds, Hooker was really going after the leg kicks. And then from round three on, man, he just basically stopped. I looked at the numbers. I think he had one in round four and maybe one in round five, and that was it. you believe he actually hurt himself doing it? Probably, yeah. I mean, he was going he was going inside low. You know, he was going inside low on the southpaw, and they were going shin to shin. They, they, I mean, that's bad for both of you. Um, it, it wasn't like he was hitting a calf clean. Um, he's, I think uh, that's, that's dangerous. I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, this is, you know, the same kick that Anderson Silva broke his leg on, right? Mm. Right. Okay. So he got away from it there. The other thing that sort of stood out to me was there were times when he was trading with Dustin, like in close quarters, right? Let's say up against the fence or something. And he would land, like to be clear, especially in that second round with that knee, he landed near the end of the round. But I also kind of noticed that like, dude, if you do that with Dustin Poirier long enough, he's going to get the better of it. Maybe he doesn't drop you, but the wear and tear, there's hardly anybody like you saw with Max Holloway, Max would trade with him. By the end of round three, dude, you're just taking way too much punishment. He hits so hard. He hits so hard with both hands. Uh, even his, his jab is, is like a jackhammer, you know, and it, it, it doesn't go away. It's like that the whole fight. So if you think it's going to lighten up, it doesn't. That, that's the big thing about him. He's got really long arms for his body, and he can crack, and, and, it, and it's not going to go away. I think he's got a big power advantage. And he, yeah, I mean, it, it was a bad idea. It was a bad idea. I mean, it, he was, Dustin was loading up a little bit. I feel like in the uh, second, especially where he was kind of showing what he was doing. He was, he was missing big and kind of falling off balance a few times, but once he dialed it in and started just touching him, uh, cause it, his, he doesn't have to try to kill you to, to, to put you down. He, he just got to hit you because, He's got a, he's got enough natural power and that that will do the job. And, and Hooker took a lot, man. He's got a an incredible chin. Incredible chin. Were you surprised at like the fact that I mean he obviously was wearing it. His face was a mess when the fight was over, but he actually never got knocked down. Isn't that kind of incredible? It is. I mean, I, I, he's shown that in the past too, right? He's the the Barbosa fight as well. He he took an incredible amount of punishment. Finally went down to a body shot, but yeah, one of the best chins in, in the in the sport, maybe, maybe in definitely in the weight class for sure. Okay, so here's the things that people have brought up here on the show, which is what about the guillotines from Dustin? Now we know he's got a good one, but the criticism has been he went to him too many times, and uh, you know he should have just defended the takedown more. I mean, I'm of two minds, Mike. On the one hand, okay, maybe, right? I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. On the other hand, when they got to the floor, it was Dustin doing more work from underneath than Hooker was doing on top. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't like it. I mean, that's a that's a funny thing. I mean, he and I have been fighting over that one for years about the guillotine, jumping guillotines. Um, but but to his to his credit, he finishes a lot of guys in the gym with that. You know, he, he puts a lot of guys away. He does have a very good one. Uh, for whatever reason, people have uh, narrowly escaped in the fights. You know, he had a good bid at Khabib. He's missed a few here and there on other guys. Uh, I, I don't like it. I, pr I prefer he doesn't. But he does finish a lot of guys in the gym. So I, I know where his mind is at. And in his mind, he knows his conditioning is good enough to, to fight and scramble and battle to get back to his feet and he, he knows he can, can get out of the way. 
gives me a heart attack every time. So, so I, I don't really like it. But <laughs> at the end, I think he was like, we'll see what happens. But he was like, I'm done jumping guillotines. He, he was saying that at the end. But who, know, who knows what the future holds? That'll be interesting to see. Uh, from your perspective, what else did you like from Dustin in this fight? What did you see that really gave you, uh, I don't know, it was good execution or, or something else? I liked the, the, the use of the kicks, man. I, I wish he would use it more. It's something he just had a, uh, he's had an ongoing problem with, it, with his hip where he wasn't able to throw him too much in the past uh, because of, he had like a lot of bone chips, ma- many problems in there, but he just had a surgery that helped clean it up and, and loosen things up there and give them more range of motion. Uh, I mean, he, his, his kicks are like brutally hard. I mean, much harder than his punches, and, and he's, a, he's a big puncher. Um, it was good to see that coming out. I think he hurt him to the body a few times. Uh, those, I don't know how it looks on TV, but when you're there live, that's, I mean, he, there's a lot of power behind that, slamming into the body, slamming into the, the, the organs. That's definitely can, can sap the life out of you. It can take your energy away. It can put you down. And uh, it was good to see that coming. And, he, and even with, with such a tall guy, he was able to get, get it up, up to his head even a few times. Uh, this is something he wasn't able to do uh, before surgery. And it, it's good to see him implementing this again in this game. He also, like, you know, he just seemed to me really disciplined. I mean, the thing that just from a, even if you didn't know anything about fighting, you're just watching Dustin. He looked more like himself in round four than hooker looked like himself in round four has he found like there's a certain gear and he knows what that gear feels like and he just kind of stays in that gear or am i oversimplifying the process here a little bit i I just think he i i think it's just superior conditioning i just think he doesn't change when other guys do you know he's going to be the same in four and five when when the other guys aren't the same people you know it's hard to fight especially at that pace, dude, the pace they were fighting is crazy. They were trying to kill each other in there. You know, it was, uh, they're swinging with all their might and, and getting drilled with shot after shot, uh, to not slow down after 15 minutes of fighting is, is incredible. It's not, that's not easy to do, but I mean, that, that's what I think the, the big thing is. I, I just think he, he doesn't slow down where other guys are relative to the, so Dustin's had three fights where he's landed, more than 100 significant strikes. It was this one, the Holloway one, and now the Gaethje one, which were all different uh, times, by the way. Well, I mean, I guess the Holloway one went uh, the same distance, but still. Which one was he most banged up from? It feels like this one. I mean, the Holloway one, definitely, it, it, it feels like it was, it was this one. And this was the, I mean, maybe it was how the fight went. It, it, it seems as though, I'm, coming, I'm trying to think at the end of the Gaethje fight what it was like. I, I, think, I think maybe this one. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe, maybe this. I, I forget exactly what Gaethje, but I don't think Maxi, he wasn't too bad after that one. But, it, dude, every time the guy gets in there, it's, it's fight of the year candidate. Every time, right? Every, unless he gets you out early, you know? <laughs> he, he, it's, it's, it's always crazy. You know, I, I wish it wasn't, but it's, it's always madness. So sometimes the guy gets out, get, get, sometimes he hits you early and gets you out of there. But a lot of times it's, it's a, it's a bloodbath. 
So, I mean, there's so many questions here about Dustin I would love to ask, which is, here's the first one, namely, um, you know, listen, he his, he's he certainly had a tremendous win on Saturday. Things didn't go his way against Khabib, but, you know, with this win here, he's right back in the thick of things, and, you know, you never know. We'll see how things go. But let's say his career ended on Saturday. You'd have Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson, and Dustin Poirier as interim UFC lightweight champions. I mean, I'll put those three interim champions against any other weight classes interim champions ever. Here's my point, Mike. It's like, I don't know what's next for Dustin, but I know what he's done. And, you know, Khabib obviously is real special and, and blah, blah, blah. But, like, dude, if you can't find a place to measure greatness where Dustin Poirier is included, your measurement is bad because those guys in that weight class – it is so deep and it is so difficult. Anybody else with anyone else's in any other division with Dustin's skill set, no doubt about it, they're an undisputed UFC champion. Agree or disagree? A hundred percent. I feel he's an undisputed champion in a, in a weird way. I feel like, the, you know, Khabib was out. We fought another world champion in Max and, and, and we beat him. You know, it, it, it felt to me as... Uh, as a world title can be, it felt as much of a world title as any. Uh, yeah, he 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 has shown that he, he the longevity, the amount of records that he holds, uh, the UFC wins, and all. I mean, he's been fighting at the highest level since 21 years old, and just fighting the best of the best for for for, for years and. and the consistency is uh, is pretty incredible. The other part about it is just from the media perspective, I don't know if you can appreciate this the same way that I can, which is to say the following. Dude, we never hear stories about him doing shady shit to people in gyms. We never hear stories about how he's a cancer in the locker room. We never, there's never, I never wake up and I read on MMA fighting or whatever, Dustin Poirier pulled over in DUI. And look, man, I've had friends get DUIs. Like, I'm not saying it'd be the end of the world. I'm just sort of pointing out, like, in addition to doing all these great things in the Octagon, dude, like, he just never seems to cause an issue that I can tell outside of it. It is utterly remarkable. Yeah, I mean, nobody's perfect, of course, right? But, uh, you know, one thing that I really like and admire about him is that he's always consciously, like, even saying it like trying to be a better person he like con- he's consciously thinking about wanting to be a better person in, in in so many ways whether it's about like just stupid stuff like gossip and stuff like this he's a guy who like consciously if gossip is going on he'll try to like nip the gossip I don't, he doesn't want to hear it doesn't want pe- people around him talking talking like this uh you can just see his mind his brain he's like always trying to be a better person in, in every, in every facet. Uh, it's, I looked up to him in, in, in a lot of ways in, in that way. He, he does a good job. Obviously is the good fight foundation has done amazing things and it's growing and getting bigger and his charity is, is really blowing up. And, uh, this is a beautiful thing. Um, but at so many levels, he, he's like this and, uh, he's, I guess that's, all I can say about him, he, he just tries to be the best person he can every day. Who do you think he should be fighting next? I mean, if, if it were me, it's, it's a, a title shot. If I mean, in a, in a perfect world, it's, it's Gaethje, Gaethje wins because that sets up a fight with Gaethje because 
Gaethje only has two losses, and uh, one of them is not in the organization anymore. And that fight was fight of the year. Uh, in a perfect world, that's what would happen. Um, that that would be that that would be everything going best case scenario. Um, but whoever he fights, he, he deserves a raise and and <laughs> and deserves a lot of money for what he's doing, man. It, every every time it's 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 craziness, right? Every every fight is wild. There's never a boring minute. So uh, I think he. He, he deserves a million dollar payday. Uh, bare minimum. Uh, I mean, that would be selling him short if you ask me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, he, so here's the, the, the sort of optimal question. We live in an imperfect world, right? Um, what do you make of the fight between Khabib and Gaethje? What kind of chance do you give Justin to win there? I think he's got a good shot, man. I think stylistically he's got a good shot. Uh, it's a very interesting fight. Obviously, Khabib is the best. Uh, he's proven it time and time again. What he's done is incredible. Not, there's never been anything like it. Undefeated. I mean, it's John Jones is very similar. Uh, but this is incredible, especially with the lighter weights. Uh, but Gaethje has the tools, man. He he has the, the wrestling pedigree to, to force Khabib to stand. He's got the conditioning to hang in there. And... He's going to make him uncomfortable. He's going to pressure him. He's going to, he, he has big power. He's going to be in his face. He's going to make him very, very uncomfortable. It'll be the, the most uncomfortable I think Khabib's ever been. I mean, well, can Khabib ride to the occasion and beat, it, beat another guy? Uh, of course he can. Um, but I think uh, th- this might be his toughest matchup stylistically. Hmm. Well, I guess, I guess we'll have to see if, if uh, I know it was kind of put out there, but um, well, I guess you sort of welcome any fight. But let me ask you this a different way. Do you worry at all a little bit about the damage that Dustin has taken? I mean, he is sort of through these long fights. He still shows up to the next long fight and he looks great. But at some point, you know, that that can't last forever. It doesn't matter how much heart you have. Yeah, this is not good for you. This is why this guy deserves a lot of money. You know, this guy de- deserves to be paid. This is why. Dude, we all want to see him. You know, we all want to see him fight. Uh, he's as a fight fan. You know, if I didn't know the guy, Tim and Gaethje are, are, are like the two most exciting guys in the organization every time. And they, you know, they went head to head already, and it was fight of the year. I mean, every fight is fight of the year candidate. So this is, uh, yeah, it's it's concerning. That's just why he he. You don't know which one is going to be the last one, and any one of these could. It, it could be the last one. You never know. This is, these guys are doing a lot of damage to each other. You know, this is, uh, this is definitely not good for you. So, uh, last question, because we, we have to get out of here. So very quickly, you were cage side for t- the two leading contenders for fight of the year, Joanna versus Zhang Wiley, and now this one, Hooker Poirier. Give me your fight of the year. <laughs> Hard to pick between those two, man, honestly. <laughs> uh, and it's like... Uh, like your children you can't pick one man you gotta love them both (laughs) equally all right fair enough well congratulations coach uh just an unbelievable job you guys are doing and uh, of course dustin himself it's just it's amazing to watch everyone work and i don't know exactly what's next or when but to your point i hope it's a big payday with a big name and um he deserves no less thank you for your time really appreciate it all right thanks luke see ya there he goes mike brown from att luke thomas show coming right back 
Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barack Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. And talking about Mike Perry here, what did y'all make of him with the girlfriend and her cornering? And it was a weird one for me, man. Like, <laughs> it was a weird one. I don't even know exactly what to say. Now, let's set this up here a little bit. Perry talked about it and having his girlfriend work the corner and coaches and what his sort of predominant complaint is uh, after his wins. So let, let's hear from Perry and we'll start from there. Uh, cut two from Perry, please. I was thinking tonight, like, my girl did such a great job bringing in the stool and, and the bucket with the water. And uh, I was, like, thinking, man, sometimes coaches be so ready to get in there and just tell you something. Like, they think they're going to make a difference for you, and they want – it's for themselves, you know what I mean? They want to feel like they told you something that helped you win this UFC fight. And they just – they're just getting money, like uh, – and attention and trying to take credit for what your work has done so um you know like bro y'all you carry that bucket and bring me that stool you know what i'm saying and she looked better than any coach all time bringing that stool in that bucket damn she was so pretty with that little ninja face mask on killing it all night long so you know yes it's good to keep it simple uh, I feel like guys yell too much and be saying stuff. And it's like, you can't even think. Are you even trying to listen to this person? Should I stop trying to listen to this person? Like, listen, your words ain't going to make a difference, bro. And his coach's words wasn't making a, a, a difference. Like, I'm in front of you trying to punch you in the face. You got to deal with that. That's it. You got to deal with that. Not your coaches. Not your game plan. None of that. Man, there's a lot to unpack from this that sort of stands out to me about it. First of all, I mean, I want to be very clear about this. I do not want people bagging on Mike Perry's girl. You know, she seems like a very nice person. Mike seems to have strong feelings for her. You know, whatever criticisms you want to make of her participation, if you do, they should not be personal. I, 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 I shouldn't have to say that, and I don't think anybody will, but I'm... Just want to be clear about that first. Second, the thing I'd say is, you know, Mike is frustrating for me. It's very frustrating because I sort of understand what he's getting at. I think he's just not had great coaching experiences in his life. Now, I don't know that. But, you know, we didn't talk to him. But if you have this kind of a negative feeling that when the fight is over, you're talking about how coaches want the glory and they think that they're going to have some kind of sway and you're talking about how much you have to pay out to them. And of course, IRS was more of his focus. But, you know, it just seems like he's just not had the kind of coaching experience that Justin Gaethje had. I mean, could you imagine Justin Gaethje talking this way about Trevor Whitman? It, it, it just wouldn't be possible. He credits not merely, you know, his development, but they work in such you know, synchronicity together where 
Justin really relies upon his judgment and, and his ability to influence. And Trevor seems to know exactly what to say and what not to say and what to avoid and what not to avoid. And so they just really work well together. It feels to me like part of the reason Mike is making the claims that he is is because he's never had something like that. And yet I, I still believe this. Like, you know, Mike does things that are just not defensible at times. You know, the use of the N-word because you have a minuscule amount of black DNA is just ridiculous. And then, you know, going on some homophobic rant about Darren Till, you know, sort of beyond the pale. But the reality is I don't think he's a bad person. You know, he obviously had a bit of a rough upbringing. And the good news for him is that, you know, I, do, I think he's a born fighter. First of all, he appeared to be super strong, number one. And number two, uh, he's 28 years old, and he just does not care about pain and punishment. And obviously, he's trying to think about, what do I need to get the best out of myself? I don't like the direction that it's headed, but he's trying to figure out what's best for him. Here's the point I'm trying to make. If It seems like what his girlfriend has brought to his life from the outside looking in is a, is a degree of balance and calming. I mean... You could say what you want. She didn't really have anything to say in the corner. Maybe that was the point. He just had somebody in his corner who he could finally look at and they could bring him down, make him calm. When he's calm, he can think. And when he can think, he can make decisions. And when he can make decisions, you know, you saw the result. He got a domi pretty dominant win. When he could do all those things, he can perform. Now, I don't think that's going to work against higher level opposition. I think eventually you're going to have to have somebody who's reminding you of what the game plan was and can motivate you in a particular way. I mean, the idea that corners don't serve a valuable role, I mean, are they necessary every time, all the time? Do they always do great jobs? No. We've seen that there is a, there's a wide disparity in cornering ability depending on the situation and then the corner itself. So uh, to be clear, it's not like Mike's critique is entirely invalid just because he, he did something that was fairly risky in the process. But I think the key for me is if you actually believe in Mike Perry's upside, and I do, I don't mind that he did this. But I hope the lesson from this was he has got to get with a team, center his personal life, center his professional life. And if he wants to still have coaches in a more minimal role, the question would be, you know, how are you fighting in such a way that they are not valuable to you? but that other high-level fighters find them extremely valuable. What decisions are they making about letting those people in that allows them to have that effect? Because the key to his girlfriend is that's somebody he allowed himself to get attached to, right? It's somebody he allowed to, you know, have a connection with. If he doesn't allow you, it seems like, to have that kind of, I mean, there's a degree of vulnerability there. If he doesn't want to let himself be vulnerable in that way, he's just going to tune you out. So he really needs to find that, you know, not merely a coach, it seems, but a mentor, somebody who understands the fight game, somebody who understands him, and somebody who understands what it might take to get him to the next level. People have said, like, what's a good camp for him? <sighs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, he has a bit of you know, built-in skepticism about the value a coach can provide. 
So, like, can he find good training partners and then through that training get better? Yes. Would that help him? Yes. But I'm talking about maximizing his potential. I think to maximize his potential, he has to find somebody as a coach who I he believes cares about him. And again, Mike might be the kind of guy that it doesn't matter what kind of coach he finds or how fruitful the relationship, there's still going to be something of a minimal role previous, uh, in terms of what they serve in that corner. They're not always going to be the most valuable. But if he really wants to get the most out of himself, which, by the way, isn't just some kind of like abstract professional goal. Generally speaking, that means the biggest paydays, the brightest lights. He was in the co-main event for this, for crying out loud. You know, there's a, there's a real financial reward to it. And I know we just spent a bunch of time talking about how they're underpaid, but the bigger paydays, relatively speaking, will come when you do your best. And when you do your best, typically, um, you'll get to a spot where that's an opportunity for you. You know, Dustin, I think, made over 400K for this. I think that's probably a third or, you know, or, uh, or less of what he should be getting. But that's a lot more than what Mike Perry's getting, right? And, and Dustin Poirier has put in that work. So this is what I'm talking about. And to get there, like if you talk to Dustin Poirier, I bet you what he would say is he trusts Mike Brown. If you talk to Justin Gaethje, I bet you he would say he trusts Trevor Whitman. I, I bet if you talk to Daniel Cormier, he would say he trusts Javier Mendez or John Jones trusts Greg Jackson. Or, or you, know, you don't think George St. Pierre had comfort and details brought to him and helped him with Faraz Zahabi. But, you know, Faraz and GSP are also kind of like brothers. It seems to me you have to have a little bit of that for some of these guys. And I think Mike's one of these guys. You know, I don't know what Mike's family situation is like, and I don't want to overextend this analysis into places where it doesn't belong. But I'd be lying if I said a part of me didn't think that he would really benefit from having somebody as a as a trainer slash coach slash cornerman who served as something of a familial role who could occupy that kind of space in his life. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up. But I think if he like just candidly, I think if he just keeps doing this thing where he relies on his natural talent, I think in this particular case, he got a bit of a favorable matchup. And by the way, Kyle, we haven't even talked about this. I, Mickey Gall is in a bit of trouble here because he jumped to the UFC so early and now he's there. And I don't know that it's done the best for his development. And I don't really know if he's got the skills at this stage to stick around because he's losing to guys like Diego Sanchez. And I know he had a kidney issue there. Okay. But now he's losing to guys like Mike Perry, who didn't even have a corner with him. Now, again, I think, I think the girlfriend did serve something of a valuable role in just sort of keeping him calm. I don't, I don't, I don't like dismiss that completely. But, dude, like, he's clearly not, like, that's not the best that Mike Perry has to offer, I don't think, not by a long shot. And he still kind of won this fight walking away. M you know, Mickey Gall is, is in a bit of trouble here in terms of where he's going to go because they can't get him something a whole lot easier than what he's got now uh, and then keep him around. And... I don't see enough progress to really go anywhere else. It's he's in he's in a, he's in a tough spot, but we'll see what happens to um, we'll see what happens to to Mike Perry from here. It'll be very interesting where he ends up 
And I saw Dean Thomas reached out. Dean might be somebody who can do some good work for him. You know, Dean's a smart guy and, and I think can be trusted to, to guide someone of that ability to get the best out of himself. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.